Bethlehem. Dark. Quiet. A resting town. Once bustling, now still. An innkeeper stable. Once calm, now astir. The tender cry of a newborn has pierced through the hush. Around a makeshift cradle, a small audience of witnesses gaze upon the baby boy with awe and wonder. This humble infant is the fulfillment of a centuries-old promise. The longed-for Savior is here. Emmanuel is indeed among them. Their tired hearts, burdened by sin, pining for a good king need not wait any longer. Behind joyful eyes, a group of shepherds observe the prodigy before them. They behold the confirmation of the angelic news. Still shook by their encounter with the multitude of heavenly hosts, thrilled by the realization that earth this very night has received her king. Like a lens focusing onto its subject, creation can fix its sights on Jesus, the one true source of genuine joy. Like the shepherds, we can respond with haste, praising and glorifying God. We rejoice in the past miracle of his coming, the current reality of his preeminence, and the future promise of his return. Even in times of desperation, grief, or uncertainty, Jesus is our unwavering joy. With the same eyes of awe and wonder, co-witnesses to all that God has done, may our hearts kneel at his manger. Let us look not to gifts of things, but let us turn our attention to the one who is the gift himself, Jesus. Just as the light of his birth broke through the darkness of humanity's waiting, his light daily breaks through the boundless darkness of this weary world. Jesus is the one and only light of the world. Woo-hoo! Well, good morning, church. You guys glad to be here? Because I am glad to be here. Uh, this is an exciting Sunday. I, I know that uh, we walk into this place uh, out of a life, a world uh, that is unpredictable and that has different seasons in it. And so some of you walk into this place uh, in a season that naturally produces uh, some pretty awesome happiness. And some of you are walking out of that space out there out of a season that is not producing anything that can engage in much joy. So I recognize that we roll in here in different spaces, in different seasons, 
sins. And throughout our lifetime, when we come in here, we will all come in here at times with circumstances that give us reason to rejoice and circumstances that give us reason not to, right? But the question that we wrestle with, not just in this season, but ongoingly, is this question, what does it really mean that Jesus is our joy when stuff is not necessarily so? And what does it mean that he is our joy when stuff is? This is the wrestle because it sounds like there's some kind of like uh, uh, transcendence in Jesus being our joy, but experientially, it can be difficult to connect to that. And in a season like this, where we bring that to the table, man, he is our hope, our joy, our peace, our love. Intellectually, we can connect with that on some level. But what does it mean to experience that no matter where we find ourselves? That is the haunting question, isn't it? That's what we wrestle with because it seems to communicate that should be our story. How do we actually live in that? So I've been wondering about that a lot, especially this season. Like, where is it that we typically connect as humans to the experience that, that we say, that, that's joy. I mean, that's joy. Look at those people. They're clearly experiencing joy. Uh, re- most recently, I have experienced an expression of joy uh, in watching a couple of YouTube videos that talk about oh, these moments in sport when somebody does something crazy at the very end of a game that they're behind on, and then because of their crazy move, they win, right? So the, you can go watch these videos on YouTube. It's like a sequence of like... Uh, unthinkable moments, right? So uh, my favorite is always the ones that they'll show a bunch of these in a basketball game. Maybe it's high school, maybe it's college, maybe it's professional basketball. And it's, you know, 1.7 seconds left on the clock. Ball comes to a guy on the other side of the court. They're down by two points. Can he make a three-pointer? And then he grabs the ball and just tosses it like, and then you watch. The seconds like, and the ball flies, and no, it's never, no, 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 and it goes in. What happens when that ball goes in? If you're watching the YouTube video, what happens in that stadium? Everybody goes nuts. I'm like, you settle down. Some guy threw a ball. What's wrong with you all? You almost have that feeling like, but it's not about throwing the ball. What's it about? It is about this unexpected moment that takes place that nobody was expecting. You kind of resolved yourself to like, it's it's done. No, no, boom, oh! Those are moments, man, those are big moments. We, We see that in our culture in multiple spaces when we experience uh, something that occurs where something unexpected, someone unexpected ends up having what they shouldn't or getting what they couldn't, right? I just recently watched the movie King George, the story of, of Serena and Venus Williams and their rise in the tennis world. It is interesting to me that, that this was the movie that we made. Not surprising, just interesting, because lots and lots and lots and lots of people worked really, 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 really hard to become professional tennis players. So why make a movie out of these two? Do you know why? Because the tennis world, to get to the top of the tennis world, requires a giant amount of resources, and these two didn't have them. And so they shouldn't have made it. They shouldn't be part of the world. They shouldn't have gotten there, and yet they did. So we go, what? And we're blown away. 
and what is expressed in us when somebody that shouldn't does, we have that feeling internally if we were behind them when we watch somebody in a place they shouldn't be getting what they shouldn't have gotten and, and we wanted it for them, we get excited and we call that joy. By the way, uh, it's joy week, so the answer is going to be just joy. So when I go, when I roll at that, you just go joy. If you say peace, just remember, oh, that's next week. We're in, we're in joy right now. So just go, and that means joy. There you go. Okay, you got it. So um, I, I just recently was at a birthday party and I was watching uh, the Alabama and Auburn game uh, from this season. And it was a crazy game because, you know, it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth at the end. You're like, who's going to win? Who's going to win? Who's? And then boom, Alabama wins, right? And, and you're sort of like, oh, again. But do you remember 2013? Remember 2013? If you're football fans, you might remember this. Um, that, that was, that was a, a giant year, right? Because that was the, the famous kick six. Uh, Auburn's down. It's not going to happen. Uh, they go for a field goal. It doesn't wait. They grab it. They run 109 yards, score. Auburn wins. And they go to the championships, right? And what happened in the stands that, that day? Remember? I mean, it was, it was crazy. Why? Because there was an expectation. This is gonna, how it's going to go down. And then the person or people that shouldn't have did. And when that happens, it stirs something in us when we watch it happen to somebody else. But when it happens to us, it's a whole nother level. Have you guys, have you guys ever um, had the opportunity to, to get some kind of memorabilia uh, that is signed by someone you deeply respect, right? Maybe a, a piece of sports memorabilia, a book authored by someone you deeply respect, a poster signed by your favorite actor or actress, right? It's one thing to buy it. Like, I, I, I never have understood that. Like, just buy it online so I have it. Now, if it's a collector's item, fair enough. But you're like, you, you just bought this thing. You don't even, you don't even meet the person that put the signature on on the thing. I mean, I, but, but when you get the signature personally, it's a little different, right? You stand in the old line and you're like, hi, I'm Renault. And they're like, hi, Renault. And then they sign, dear Renault, like they know you. Um, Good luck in life. And then they sign and you're like, and they're like, oh, right? Right. I mean, that's a neat experience, right? You take a picture of, of the signature. You ca- maybe carry the book in your backpack and every now and then you pull it out on a table and others are around and you open to the first page where the sign and it's just dear Renault, dear Renault. And, and you wait for them to pick up on, is that, a, is that a signed copy? Did you meet her? I did. <laughs> right. That's exciting. But, but what happens when it moves from having something from the person you respect to engaging in relationship with the person you respect, right? Imagine with me for a second. Think now, the, the person you'd most like to meet in life. Think for a second. You're like, oh, I got a check. What if randomly, like this week, you're, you're like rolling around and you get a text on your phone, bzz, and you're like, huh. And it's that person. You've never met them other than standing in line at some point years ago to get a, a book signed. And they're like, hey, Renault, listen, I'm in Orlando for the day. You want to grab lunch and maybe hang out for the afternoon? And you're like, this must be a wrong number. So you text back like, hi, this is Renault. Is this a wrong number? No, no, no. You were in that line when I signed that book three years ago. I remember you. And I was just thinking as I was like flying to Orlando, I'd love to hang out with Renault. So do you want to hang out? Like what's happening inside of you? 
You're like, oh, I don't, I don't understand. And then, and then it dawns on you, it's a PR thing, right? They just took the list of all the people that signed the book and they're like, you wanna hang out with him or her? Ooh. So you, you're expecting to show up and you're showing up in a big room where there's a giant party with lots of people and there's the person and once again, you get to meet them for three seconds. But what if you show up and it's a little coffee shop and you're like, not a lot of people and you see them sitting there, you're like, it's, it's them. And there's no one on you're like, and they're like, Renault, great to see you, come sit down. And the rest of the day, just you and the person. I'm like, you, you can't even imagine this, I can tell. You're like, that can happen? <laughs> it's something, isn't it? What do you do at the end of a day like that? Like, you, it was so great to hang out with you. Yeah, I can't wait to be back in Orlando, I'll see you next time. As soon as you leave, what do you do? Pull the phone out. Like, click, and then you're like, guess who I hung out with? And you put a photo like they're supposed to guess, but not really, because you don't want anyone guessing, you want them to know. I hung out with such and such. And it's exciting, it brings a great, when you go to work the next day, what is the first thing you do? You roll into work, hi guys, how's, how's your day? Good. What'd you do yesterday, you ask? And like, I don't know, regular day. Yeah, regular day, not for me, but a regular day. You want to guess who I hung out with? Already saw the post. We know who you hung out with, right? But what do you want to do? You want to tell them why, why? Because there is something that happens in us when we find ourselves in a place, even when we watch others find themselves in a place that they shouldn't be, that we have somehow constructed a, I shouldn't be there, that shouldn't have been me, I shouldn't have had that, yet I do, and because I do, it's mind-blowing. I can't even begin to imagine. When we find ourselves in that place, something in us moves us to an experience that we call, that is joy. Like, that's exciting. So I often try and find myself imagining what it must have been like for the people that were there during the times of Jesus on this planet and what the experience must have been like. And I, in this season, imagine what it might have been like for some of those people to be with Jesus in that first night of his birth, that first few days after that, those first encounters. Like I want to imagine what must it have been like? What could it have felt like. I can't know for real, nor can you, because we haven't had conversations with those people. But we are humans like they are. These are not fictional characters made up for a neat story. These are actual people with actual encounters that were recorded. This is a real deal, right? So we're like, I mean, those shepherds, for example, had names. We're going to meet them someday. Hi, I'm John. Hey, nice to meet you, John. Were you one of the shepherds? I was. Can we have a conversation? I'd like to know. But until that day, we get to say, I'm a human, they're human, we have some common experiences when we experience things, I wonder what it might have been like to be them. To fully understand what it is like to be another person, you can't just understand the event or the circumstance in which they find themselves, you have to understand the context from where they're coming. Why? Because depending on the context, it changes the experience. For example, if there's a giant party in town and somebody uh, has invited a guest list and you are someone that in our constructive culture is typically invited to that kind of party and you're invited, you have one experience, right? 
same party, but if you are invited to that party and you're not typically the kind of person that's invited to that party, you have a very different experience at that party, right? You're more like, oh, oh, and the other person's more like, hey, what's up, what's up, right? So you have to understand not just what the place or person is that they're encountering, you have to understand where they're coming from. So as we look at the people that encountered Jesus and we understand their context, it helps us understand their experience and it helps us learn from their experience as it relates to our experience. The shepherds are one of such a group. They were some of the people that had first encounters with Jesus when he came to this planet. Those shepherds, because we understand history, were shepherding sheep just outside of Bethlehem in the fields just a short way from Jerusalem. We know from the geographical realities of where they were shepherding that the likelihood that these shepherds were shepherding sheep that were utilized for the sacrificial system is very high, which means that the sheep they were shepherding were what we call unblemished sheep, sheep without flaw. So at least physically, if you looked at the sheep, you're like, this one doesn't have any flaw. And it was an unblemished lamb that was required in the sacrificial system to meet the needs that the people of God had to have their sins accounted for. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all of us, right? But the point was the sheep had to be unflawed because one day Jesus would be unflawed. So if we're going to roll in with flawed sheep, we're setting a wrong story in place. You with me so far? So these sheep, they didn't just show up a dime a dozen, right? I mean, you had lots and lots of sheep and then you had to search through all the lots and lots of sheep to find the few unflawed sheep to bring out. So how important are these sheep? I mean, one of these sheep die. It's not like, oh, just get another one. Like, dude, we have to go search through 150 sheep to find one unblemished lamb. And then you read, didn't even care. So the shepherds are involved in a space that's, that's, that's pretty serious. That's why they're watching the sheep all night long with, without fail. And, and these shepherds in the societal context, uh, they're not the dudes that get invited to the parties. I'm just saying, it's just the way it is. They're, especially at night, they, they, got, they got the night shift. And they're rolling on out there and they're hanging out and just around the corner from where they are, born onto this planet is a human that is in fact more than human. It is a human body, but it embodies the creator that created all the humans. It's crazy. It's like, a, it's like a, uh, in all of human history, the single most profound moment of human history from its start to its finish is this arrival and collision between the creator entering his creation story for the sake of his creation. And, and they are hanging out in the fields. And this is, this is what goes down. Listen to this, okay? So this is found in the book of Luke in chapter two, and this is what it says. That would be Mark, so that's not helpful. Here is Luke. Okay, listen to this. So it says, and, and in the same region, uh, that's what gives us the geography, uh, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So we know the timing. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Uh, keep in mind, you'll see this several times today, 
uh, every piece of a sentence, every word added uh, matters in scripture. It's there for a reason. So for example, there's lots of places in scripture it says an angel showed up. But in this case, it says an angel showed up. And FYI, in case you're wondering about the context of that angel showing up, he didn't walk into the field looking like a human. You know, like that has happened in the past. They show like, and by the time you've hung out with this human, you realize, oh, it's an angel. But this time, what does it say? Now he showed up and the way he showed up, it, it shone the glory of God. So what was he doing? Glowing. It's, it's not a trick question. It's like it's, it's shining, zzz, light coming, glowing, okay? So when you're at night in a field and right, the, the next sentence would make sense, would it, would it not? Um, the Lord appeared to them, uh, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Okay, context that. And then it talks about the angel saying, don't be afraid, I'm here to give you great news, but listen to what he says. I am, I'm here to bring you good news of great joy. They, you guys are on it, it's the joy week, okay? Great peace, no, 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 there's lots of peace, but we're not peace week yet, joy. Great joy, now watch this, that will be for all the people. So the context of the angel's declaration right now is not the shepherds. He didn't come and say, I'm bringing you great joy for you. He's like, I'm bringing you great joy, great news, good news for who? For all the people. Who's going to experience the joy of the news I'm bringing? A whole boatload of people beyond you all, right? And then literally as though he's like, okay, just want to confirm that. It says, and suddenly there were with him and uh, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay. So it's like just in case. And then, and then it says this, I, I love this. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, wow, right? The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, so just, just a quick little thing. You probably know this, but just in case, because we read the Bible a lot and we think what we're reading is the whole conversation. Like, like a bunch of shepherds would be standing around. And they, let us go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that this angel spoke to us about. It doesn't work that way. Remember John said when he wrote his gospel, at the end of the gospel, he said, if we write down everything that was said, everything we experienced, everything that was done, man, we'd have volumes and volumes of this more than can fill a room, right? And like when you have to read this thing in three years, you panic. You're like a three-year journey through this, I'll never make it. I mean, how many of you have tried it? You know, I've tried, failed 17 times. I get to year one and a half and I'm 19 books behind, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. It's like, if we can't get through volume one, if there were hundreds and hundreds of volumes, we'd be dead. So God was like, I'm gonna summarize everything for you so you can at least in a lifetime try to get through one. You with me? So when you encounter conversations in here, always assume the conversation is a summary. After the shepherds had a fairly long conversation about what just went down, the conclusion was generally, maybe we should go. 
You with me? And then they write it. We should go to Bethlehem and see this child that they spoke of. It started with, what the heck just happened? Are you sick? Did you see that? I didn't see you because I was looking at them. And so I don't know if you saw that. Maybe I was having some kind of a breakdown. I'm not sure. But there was, did you see this? I did. You too. Me too. What do we do? I don't know. Should we go somewhere? I don't, just sit down and think for a second. And then after maybe a few minutes of like, okay, maybe one of them said, you think we should go to Bethlehem? I feel like, and that's when shepherd number three was like, I think we should go unto Bethlehem down to see the thing that this angel taught. They They just went, and so they decide to go. And off they go to this event, right? Now watch this. It talks about them showing up, and they walk into the cave, and they're hanging out in the cave, and then it says toward the end in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the shepherds show up at the cave, and they're like, Hi, sorry. It's a weird moment. You could tell you're just relaxing with a new baby. But like, we didn't just like randomly walk by. We were in the fields and then we were doing and then this and, this, and then we were like, what do we do? And then we sat and we cried and we laughed and then we were like, okay. And then we thought we'd come and then here you are. Can we come in? So it says, you know, the shepherds told them everything and they, they were like, oh my gosh, come on inside. So they come on in and it says Mary just pondered all of this in her heart. See, this is where my wondering begins. I I wonder in those moments, they weren't like 30 seconds. Again, scripture, it wasn't like roll in, high shepherds, ponder, go. I bet they spent hours there, hours sitting, just staring, just watching. And, And see, this is what I wonder. I don't know this, but I wonder. If I were there and I was one of the shepherds, you know what I'd be looking over at all the time? The door. Do you know why I think I'd be looking over at the door? Seriously. Because I'd keep wondering, like, there's got to be more people coming. And they got to be people that's not me. Like, that's that feeling like you got invited to the party that you shouldn't have been invited to. Surely more important people are about to show up. And then you'll realize, it's cool just that I got invited. But what if at some point you realize, I, I I think we're like it. Like, this is the cup of coffee with the dude in the, and you're like, I, th- I think I'm it. I'm, I think I'm it. I think you actually texted me just to say, you, I want to hang out with you. Can you imagine at what point those shepherds consciously or subconsciously or verbally just said, like, you really think like this event, this event, and of all the humans on all the planet in Jerusalem, it's not like they're like, well, Jerusalem's very far away, so they couldn't have brought like the important people. Jerusalem's right around the corner. Why us? See, I wonder when it says this. This is how how that passage ends. And the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. When we say glorifying and praising, think football stadium, basketball stadium, balls, (laughs) 1.2, 1.1, 1 second, 0.9. Think that's glorify and praise when, when you read that here, okay? So it's the shepherds leaving going, what just happened? We were there. We were there. For the rest of eternity, we'll be able to say, we were there when the balls, except for them, it's we were there when he showed up. And, and, and it should have been somebody else. But it was us. It was us. No wonder they walk and they're like, 
I, I, I want to be part of those conversations. This typically seems to be what Jesus did in regularity. This wasn't the only time this happened. From now on, this will happen over and over and over again. This experience of people encountering Jesus and afterward just going, what just happened? Like, why me? It moves from, wow, look at them, to why me? In, in, in this very gospel, Luke, if you just go like one page further, in Luke chapter five, an event like this happens. Jesus is an adult now. Uh, he is well known at this point. Before he goes and seeks out his disciples, just in case you think, like when he was seeking his disciples, no one knew who he was, and he's like, hi, Peter. I'm Jesus, you don't know me, you don't know anything about me, but I want you to drop everything and follow me. And Peter's like, okay. It's, it just didn't happen that way. By the time he is engaging with his disciples, the baptism with John has happened and word has spread. He is taught with authority after being in the desert with the temptation thing. He has been doing miracles. The word is spreading quickly. This is a rabbi above rabbis, perhaps, perhaps, even the one. So when he's showing up, to people and saying, you've probably heard about me, but I'm looking at you, I want you to follow me, big deal. Okay, now watch this story unfold. This is crazy. So uh, Luke chapter five, it says, um, after this, so he's kind of going around town, he's, he's, he's healing some people, he's cleansing lepers, he's healing paralytics. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi slash Matthew, just in case, named Levi, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Okay, so just again, here's another example, I told you this, where there's a sentence added, or a part of a sentence added, that seems to make no difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. Why would God, trying to summarize the entire massive reality of himself in this little book, bother to put these words there? He saw a tax collector, in the booth. Why not just say saw a tax collector? Leave that out. You, you got, you, you, you're already using too many words. Well, it, it matters because it gives us a context. He didn't stand in the town he was in and he, and he saw, oh, there's the tax collector, Levi, Matthew. There's the tax collector. And he waited till office hours were over. And then he waited for Levi to go back to his house. And then he waited for the sun to set. And then he rolled in and he's like, hey, you a tax collector? Yep, I am. I saw you in the booth. Hey, I want you to think about changing careers and following me. No, what it says is Jesus walks in. He's in the booth, which means he's doing what? DMV's open, folks. Windows up. And people are in line. And what are they in line to do? Pay their taxes, Jewish people, to whom? to Rome, like this is not a happy place. So here's Mr. Tax Collector, Levi, sitting there, and he's like, uh, you're behind, sorry about that, he had, and, and then there's a line, and they're like, hatred, hatred, hatred. And it says, Jesus walked up to him then, like he's in the booth, I, I, like I wanna see that. Like, sorry, I'm not cutting, I'm just in a quick conversation. Hey, Levi. Can you imagine the moment he turns and he sees his face? Remember, Jesus is by this time known. I mean, can you imagine the, that moment? I mean, that's the text. I'm gonna grab lunch. Wrong number, I don't know how this happened. I mean, I'm excited enough that I just got a wrong number from the person. And he's like, hey, so I'd love to chat with you. 
maybe when you're done here, uh, about maybe coming with me. And, and it literally says this, listen to this. And he said to him, follow me. There's the summary again, so it didn't go down like this. Follow me. You coming? Like it just didn't. It was a summary. After a little conversation, he's like, it's clear to Levi. Jesus is asking me to follow him. Look at this. And leaving everything behind, he rose and followed him. This is one of those occasions where Levi went, sorry, folks. DM, he's taking a lunch break. And he rolled out and he goes with Jesus. And can you imagine that conversation? Like, are you serious? Do you know what? I mean, well, you do know what I'm doing because I was in the booth. And I was in the booth. You couldn't confuse the idea. I don't have to tell you I'm a tax collector. Like, do you know what I do for a living? I mean, you came to me in the booth. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, I know. I, I, and, then, and then look at this. Look at this. And Levi made him a great feast. When we use the word feast, when God uses the word feast, what is the emotion we're attaching that to? Good. Good. Joy. Joy. You don't say, and Levi invited him to some food. You say, and Levi threw him a feast because Levi's joyful. And look what he says. And there was a, I love this, large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So what, what did Levi do? After the encounter with Jesus, when Levi's like, I'm in the booth. Can you imagine those conversations? DMV's on a break, go. And where does he go first? Apparently that day, he rolled out to all his friends that gather up at the end of the day, uh, complaining about how much the people hate them when they're just trying to do their job, right? And he's like, dude, so I'm sitting in the booth and then there's this face, and just, you're not gonna believe it was. It's like that rabbi, Jesus, what do you say? He's like, do you want to follow me? And I'm like, uh, wrong guy. And then no, and then, and then I went. So tonight, there's a, at my house, we're having a party. You should come. I don't know, man, he's a rabbi. No, I get it. But like, I've had the encounter. Do you see what happens? When you encounter somebody that everyone has an idea about, but you suddenly go, it's nothing like you think. You go tell all the other people that don't want to encounter him because they have an idea. And you're like, come with me. And then the final part of the story is uh, we all sat in the house with Jesus and we hung out. A bunch of tax collectors. And Jesus kind of just hung out with us. Like that's the stuff you go to work the next day and tell everyone about. That's the stuff you post. That's the stuff you, you tell your neighborhood about. In the book of John, listen to this. In, in, in John chapter four, there's another encounter like this. So Jesus goes to Samaria and he ends up at a well. We touched on this last week, but these encounters, they, they cross boundaries of hope, joy, peace, and love. And, and, and right now as we sit in this, we watch. So he encounters this woman. And, and as you probably heard last week, if you were here, this woman has a shaded past. She's come alone. She's a woman, she's a Samaritan, and she's got a shaded past. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a strike three for her. And then she ends up and there's this rabbi at the place and he's like talking to her and it's awkward. And then on top of that, the worst possible thing, he knows everything about her shaded past and clearly she's a woman and clearly she's a Samaritan. So he knows all three strikes. And what does he invite her to? Hey, if you come and follow me, if you come and drink from my fountain from, and, and eat from me, from my bread, you will never be hungry and thirsty again. It was an invitation to follow him. And then, and then listen to what it says after that whole encounter. 
verse 27 of chapter 4. Just then, his disciples came back. I love that. Like, hi! He's talking to a lady at the well who's a Samaritan. They don't even know the, the real bad stuff. They just know she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. And that's bad enough. Strike one, strike two. They don't even know strike three. But look what they say. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Fair enough. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So it says, none of the disciples dared look at her and say, what do you want from him? And none of the disciples looked at him and said, why are you talking to her? See, they've gotten to the point now where they're starting to get Jesus. And they're like, just, you want to say something? I want to say something. You want to say, I don't want to say. The last time we said something, he had something to say and it didn't go so well. So whatever he's up to here, it's new, it's crazy, but I'm marveling. Like, I'm just marveling at this, right? So they don't say, they don't say anything. And so it says this, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Question mark. They went out of the town and were coming to him. So this woman leaves her water jar at the well. The disciples just showed up like, hi, weird. And she's like, gotta go. She goes. And where does she go? Immediately. She runs out on the field after the big throw. She's like, oh, and she goes to the town and she's like, you got to come right now to see this guy. She doesn't even know who he is yet because it says she wondered whether he might be the Christ. You, you with me? Jesus hadn't said to her, definitely the, the, the guy. But she's like, he did things. He knows things. He said things. He knew things about me. And then he said things about himself. And when you put those two things together, he knows everything. And I think, I think he's the one you should come, right? And then what happens? Listen to this. Verse 39, a little further down the story, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did was what she said. So they say, when she came and she told them about her encounter with Jesus, they believed enough to come and see Jesus. They, they haven't encountered Jesus yet. They're just like, they believed that he might be because she said this crazy thing happened. Her joy in her encounter that she realized shouldn't have happened is now bleeding out to bring them to him. Now watch this. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. Now watch this. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So after two days of hanging out with Jesus and his people, his disciples, the Samaritan people went, first we believed because we saw it in you. You soon seemed super excited about this dude. Now we've been with this dude and now we're super excited because frankly, none of us should have encountered this guy. This is what drives the beauty of excitement. I think this idea that we've encountered something we probably shouldn't have, that we have been invited into something we don't belong in, is what stirs often for us a joy that transcends whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. David realized this in Psalm 8, verse 4. 
in a, in a very large context, not a personal one-on-one context. Here was the large context, Psalm 8, 4. In Psalm 8, he's, he's unpacking creation, right? And he's like, he's marveling at the expansiveness of creation and the expansiveness of who God is. And then he says this, who is man that you are mindful of us? So it's David sort of looking like this and just going, okay, clearly we small. Like we small. And when you're managing that, I'm just out, out of curiosity. Why am I on your mind? Like I shouldn't be on your mind. Like I'm part of a collective giant thing that you're just, but you're like, no, no, no. Hey, Dave, what's up? That's what David was experiencing. Like, I know you know me and I know you. We have a relationship, but I'm just starting to realize we shouldn't. Did you catch that? I'm just starting to realize we shouldn't because of who you are. See, when we encounter people and we don't know who they are, and then we find out later, like, have you ever been, a, you have a conversation with someone and you come back like, yeah, this is, I met this really cool lady, man, look here. And they're like, do you know who that is? I don't know who that is. That's like Celine Dion. I don't know, I just randomly picked that. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know that. And they're like, you spent a whole afternoon with her and you didn't know who she was? Nope. Then what happens to you then? Then you're suddenly like, what? I didn't know, now I know, this is crazy. And then the same elation happens, right? Oh my goodness. This is what begins to happen in our encounters with Jesus. Many of us encounter Jesus because we meet somebody else who encountered Jesus and they bring us to experience Jesus in community. And then we kind of, yeah. and then as we grow after we've met Jesus into a clarity of who he actually is, oh, oh, he is like the creator and sustainer of all things. Yep. Oh, like he holds me together right now. I breathe in and out because he is thinking about me. Check. Oh, he's managing the entire universe and all of the molecules. Yup. Oh, he's eternal in every way and stands outside of time. Yup. Oh, he's, and the more you go, what? The more you ought to go. Well, then why did he bother with me? And it is in that encounter that the joy that transcends circumstance starts bubbling. Hold on, I don't belong here. Hold on, he shouldn't have, but, but he did. Hold on, he shouldn't know me, but he does. So now we read all these other, he knows every hair on you, he counts them. And every time one goes out, he's like, one down. And every time another one grows, he's like, still on it. Still on it. Why would scripture put a description like that? Like I'm like, say something about like, he knows the heart of hearts. But he's like, no, he knows every hair on your head. I think part of the reason why they do that often is because like, pick something that changes on a dime. He knows how many right now, and changed, and changed. For some of you, that was a growth. And for some of you, that was a loss. <laughs> Just saying. But he's on it. And, and who, who's, whose head does he know how many hairs exist? Yours and yours and yours and mine, simultaneously. You see, what scripture is trying to say is once you've encountered Jesus and you you start realizing who he was and you start recognizing who you are, what should happen to you is a confusion. Why me? And the more the why me becomes don't know, but it's awesome, the more something in you should start going. That team that shouldn't have won just did. 
Those girls who shouldn't have been pro tennis players just are. I who shouldn't have been at that party just am. No, wait, wait. I who shouldn't be having coffee with that person just did. And wait, wait, wait. I who shouldn't be friends with that person, I just am. And do you know why I am? Not because I bumped into them, but because they came to my booth while I was tax collecting. Pay up! Hey, Levi, you want to come with me? He showed up at our booth while we were doing this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, I, I want you to be with me and I'm going to be with you. Like when we realize that, we ought to kind of stop and pause and breathe deeply and go, I'm feeling it. It feels like joy because it's coming. John writes in uh, letters he wrote after he wrote his gospel. So 1 John is one of the ones that he wrote. And he writes this beautiful introduction to this letter about why he's writing this letter. And this is what he writes. John, 1 John 1 verse 1 on through uh, verse four. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So who's he talking about? Jesus. It was good, you guys were great. It wasn't joy this time. It was Jesus, which is the same thing because Jesus is joy and joy is Jesus. So we're good. If you said joy, I would have said yes. Okay, you with me so far? But notice that he's talking about not like a thing. He's saying that which was from the beginning, who? Jesus, who we have heard, who we have seen, who we have touched, who we have been with, that guy, that guy, listen to this. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal joy which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So now they called him joy. Did you see that? We're testifying to you the eternal what? Joy. He could have said Savior. He said the eternal joy. The one who holds in his hands the reason we have joy. Not because he gave us something. We got the book signed by Jesus. Whoop, whoop. We got the circumstance. He changed for us. Whoop, whoop. No, because he showed up. Because we hung out with him. We don't need the book with the signature in it. I don't need the circumstances changed. Maybe I get the book. Maybe I don't. But I got the dude. He's my friend. I hung out with him. I hang out with him. That's what he's saying. We hung out with him. Look at this. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So this is what John's saying. I am like Levi now. I am like the woman at the well. I, when I encountered Jesus, went and told all my tax collecting friends to come to the house and meet him. I, when I encountered Jesus at the well, went to my town and said, I met a guy, I think he's it, but I'm not sure, but he knew me. And boy, that's crazy. So you got to come meet him. And John says, I am writing you because what choice do I have when I have this inside me? Now, the, here's, the, here's a cool line. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What an interesting sentence to put at the end of that paragraph. 
Listen, we saw him, we touched him, we were with him and we're writing you to tell you about him so you can come meet him. And we're doing this so that our joy might be complete. Does that mean that we're telling you this so you can have eternal life so that we can all be in heaven together and be joyful together? Probably. It's traditionally what that's, and it probably does, it's that. So there's that. But the more I read this and the more I experience how joy functions within me when something super crazy happens to me, when does that joy complete itself? Is it when I hold it inside? I mean, why is it that the second something incredible happens to us, it's, it's like an itch? Like, have you ever had something amazing happen to you and there's no one to tell? Like, it's practically misery. You know what I'm saying? Like, why did this happen to me? And there's no human to tell about it. Because what's the point of something amazing happening? To complete that joy that we feel at first, we gotta do what with it? We gotta tell someone. Because that's where it really gets cool. I, I, I remember when I was watching the stands like at the Olympics or the sports events during COVID and there's like um, cardboards and then there's like one coach with a mask on and, and, and the big thing, right? And then something amazing happens and, and you watch the coach like, yeah! It's not the same. It's not the same as when the crowd goes nuts because we were made that our joy starts with an encounter we either see or experience and it completes with the sharing of it. That's what he says. I'm writing this so that my joy can complete so that what I'm experiencing you can know about and you will have the chance to experience it and then we will have fellowship and boy, that will complete everything. Our joy affected for us by the redemptive work of Jesus is certainly one that has a future. Fair enough? I mean, you remember Isaiah? Well, you might not, so I'm going to read it to you real quick. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 35, uh, he's writing here about an immediate context and an eternal context, and he writes this, uh, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So this is about a future event as a result of God's rescue or ransom. And and is what he's saying. Someday God will ransom or rescue us. And because he does, he'll take us to a place called Zion. For them, it was Jerusalem. For us, it is eternal life, right? Watch this now. And when you get to Zion, you won't be needing to try to compete with sorrow and suffering because there won't be any. Your joy will be because of everything. It'll just be the whole caboodle. Are you excited about a future where we will have nothing but joy? Me too. You guys sound super excited. I'm kind of excited about that. This one's pretty good. Have you just seen human trafficking alone? The offering crisis? Your own personal circumstances? This ain't a good place. It's got good things, but it ain't a good place. Are you excited about the other one? Me too. So there's a future to that, and that gives us plenty to have joy in. But our joy isn't just about that, remember? It's also about the encounter itself, the one we have every single day. Listen to this. This is in the book of Romans. And this isn't about future only. It is about present as well. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Listen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 
since you encountered Jesus, everything's changed now. Not just in your future, when? Right here, how do I know? I'm making that up. No, I'm not, no, I'm not, look, let's read on. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Does that sound like a future tense? No, right here, I'm standing in it. I'm right in it, I'm in it, I'm right here. Watch this, and we rejoice. It's kind of like joy, same thing, rejoice. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice in our future because we're standing in it. Now look at this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's just like a general planet thing. We rejoice being stuck here on planet death. It's not just like when I suffer, I'm like, I'm stuck here, I wanna go to Zion. I know, but we're right here right now. And how do we find joy right here? Watch. And we rejoice, that's joy, in our suffering, our current circumstances, knowing that this planet or suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts when? Right now through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us when? Right now. We have reason to feel and experience joy regardless of our circumstances. Why? Because he's right here and he's our friend and we're his and that shouldn't be. That shouldn't be. You shouldn't know him. He shouldn't know you. I shouldn't know him and he shouldn't know me, but he does, but he does. Like he's our friend and he's our savior and he's our king and he's the dude we get to hang out with. And so as we stand here, I begin to think to myself, God, regardless of this planet that I'm on and the current circumstances I'm in, whether they're awesome, awesome or terrible, terrible, that doesn't matter nearly as much as this. I still shouldn't be having coffee with you. I shouldn't know you and you shouldn't know me, but because I do and because you do, I have great hope for my future, incredible joy for what it's gonna be like, and I stand here in joy, not because you've given me a book you signed or gave me a set of circumstances I like, but because you actually with me. You're actually with me and I'm actually with you, and that's crazy, and so I wanna be like Levi. I wanna be like the woman at the well. I wanna be like John that I wanna see my joy complete its way out by first remembering that I'm supposed to have joy. Now that's not a statement of like, be joyful you crazy Christians. That's like, remember your position? Like you ought to sit in that for a minute. Do you know who you get to hang out with every day? Do you know who's with you? Have you forgotten? Cause I have. And you ought to kind of go, that's a little dizzying who we get to hang out with. And when you get there and you start going, that's right, that's right. Then as you roll out of here, full of joy because of who you hang out with, hence Jesus is our joy. He doesn't just give us joy. Then what ought you also to do? Not because you have to, but because that's what joy does. You ought to go to work. You ought to go to school. You ought to go to your neighborhood. You ought to go into your social media spaces and you ought to begin to go, you all should come to town with me or out of town with me into the place where the well is. You all should come to my house for a feast. Where do we feast together as a people? 
right here. Welcome to dinner every week where Jesus shows up, we show up together. Who should we be bringing here? All the other tax collectors is who? All the other Samaritans is who? Because we should never have found our way here. But yet he gave us this. And so we ought to want more than anything else to live in that joy because we get to call this home and him friend. And we ought to tell everyone we know to come with us, to come and see who this Jesus character is. And may they say someday, I first believed because you seemed super excited. Your story helped me believe, but then I came and met him. <laughs> and I don't need you anymore because I got my own story with him now. And that's what this should look like, right? Right? So would you guys stand to your feet because we are gonna declare here in this place that we have reason for joy regardless of the space we live in because our reason for joy is not something Jesus gave us. It is Jesus himself, right? And as we roll out of here, we roll out with joy and we shout from the rooftops that you should come see him because he's pretty awesome. So let's declare that.